You may be seated. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Smyrna. This is the message from the ones who is first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears must listen to the Spirit and will understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. In seminary, I had the opportunity to get to know many pastors and seminarians that were there studying from around the world. This was a valuable experience because many of them helped expand my understanding of the world. They deepened my faith, and they challenged me on an an incredibly deep level. It was great to see how people from around the world had different ways of thinking, different traditions, different ways of looking at life. But one of the most stunning differences for me was how other cultures understand adversity in life. Adversity, difficulty, suffering, these are things that are universal experiences to humanity. But people in different places deal with that adversity in different ways. One of my dear friends is a man named Sindhu. He and his wife are ministers in India. Just last year, them and their team, they led 1,000 people to faith in Jesus. Uh, Being a pastor in India is significantly different than being a pastor in the United States. We stay connected on Facebook and we often exchange messages. And just a few uh, weeks ago, he sent me this message. He says, good morning, Nathan. And he says, we need more prayers as you must be aware of the persecution going on in India. The radical Hindus are so determined to make India a Hindu nation once again that they are wanting to destroy all the churches in India. Every day the Hindus are killing Christians, beating and burning Christian uh, churches and houses, attacking Christian institutions. It is such a difficult situation. We are serving the unreached and we are planting churches. He goes on to request specific prayer for a pastor who was being beaten and thrown in jail. Every day, lives are threatened. Their lives are on the line, and yet they continue this important work of of reaching the lost, of preaching the gospel with, with no regard to their personal safety. For me, this was a major reality check. As an American pastor, my life is not threatened on a daily basis. After a few more messages, Sindhu finally said, please try to visit us one day or send some people to train our pastors and to help with summer camps for the children. You just told me about being beaten and you want me to come visit? You did say send some people and I said, can I pick which people I send? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But, But really, can you imagine being so faithful to God and that in his leading, that you would risk your safety, your family, everything for the cause of Christ. 
His story is common amongst Christians around the world. Just a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of meeting someone that our mission board, cross mission board sponsors, a guy named Isaiah Nishimirimana. Yes, I practiced that last name many times. Isaiah, he founded a ministry in, in the small African country of Burundi, and I think some of you probably had an opportunity to meet him as well. So Burundi is a tiny country with a violent past. And Isaiah shared the story of how he grew up during a time of fierce conflict. Whenever he grew up, uh, this country was in a civil war for almost 20 years where people were getting murdered and and beaten up, and it was this incredible clash. And and so as a result of this civil war, he was displaced from his home. And as a child, he was orphaned, and he went to live in a refugee camp in Tanzania. And so he was raised in this refugee camp, and he met Jesus, and he had this opportunity. He said that he prayed that God would send him to go and be a missionary in one of these really lost, sinful places like the United States. For real. And one day the opportunity came. He was selected and said, you are going to be allowed to immigrate from this refugee camp back to the, to the United States if you want to go. But as he prayed about it, he said, I felt in my spirit that God told me, you will go back and you will minister and preach the gospel in Burundi. But no one went back to Burundi. This was a place of war, of poverty, of death. Burundi is considered one of the poorest countries in the world. The average person earns about $700 a year. They live off of $60 a month. I don't know about you, but $60 is how much money it costs to fill up my gas tank in my car this week. And that's all that they have to subsist on for an entire month. Isaiah shared this story with teachers and students at cross schools. And afterwards, I was talking to one of the teachers, and she said, if I were in that situation, and if I felt that God was telling me to go back to this place of suffering, I would need a letter from God, notarized by Jesus, and hand-delivered by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Isaiah told us that his first few years of ministry were so difficult that he literally had to go through his closet and sell every piece of clothing that he wasn't wearing just to feed his family. But God started being faithful. And, and is now he has this amazing ministry reaching the lost around the world uh, in, in Burundi. But can you imagine the level of faithfulness that his, that his life requires? My friends, Sindhu and Isaiah, they're well aware that following God's call would mean that they would suffer, and yet they follow this call courageously. I've been convicted by their stories, and it sent me into a study of suffering in Scripture. And it made me think about how we, as humans, deal with suffering. There is an amazing difference between how American Christians view suffering and how Christians around the world view suffering. In America, we tend to think that suffering is a sign that God has abandoned us, that he is choosing to inflict pain upon us. We feel as though we are entitled to never suffer, never face adversity, and always have a comfortable life. And thus, suffering often causes us to question and even run from God. We say, how could you let this happen to me? 
I often encourage my students at cross schools to ask questions, right? To constantly question. And, and the most common question without fail is this. Why would a good God let me suffer? Hmm. In other cultures, though, suffering and how they view it is completely different. Suffering is viewed as the normal part of life. They aren't surprised when they suffer. And instead of blaming God for their difficulty, they thank God for providing for them. They look to God to be their rock, their strength, the one who can deliver them. I think you can see that in these two stories that I've shared. What is incomprehensible to us is simply an act of obedience to them. And I I talk about all of this for a few reasons. Number one, it is important for us as Christians to remember our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the cause of the gospel, and we should be praying for them. It's also important to maintain a perspective on our own challenges that we face. And finally, I think that we must be prepared to face adversity and persecution as followers of Jesus. In our scripture reading today, Jesus writes a letter through uh, the disciple John to a church at Smyrna, which was a a small church in modern-day Turkey. This is one of seven letters to seven churches that are found in the first few chapters of Revelation. If you've ever ever read Revelation before, surely the things that stick out to you most are the, the crazy imagery of dragons and trumpets and seals and curses and tribulations, and, and that certainly is the most dramatic part of Revelation. But before you get to that, there are seven letters in the first three chapters of Revelation that seem very normal. And these are, are messages from Jesus to churches that are going through different difficulties in life. And most of these letters... Jesus has something to say like, hey, you as the church, you're kind of messing up. You need to to adjust a few things. But in this letter to Smyrna, Jesus doesn't have a single complaint against the church. Instead, he says, listen, I know that you are suffering. I know that you are being persecuted. But Jesus does not say, don't worry about a thing. I am going to come and save you from the difficulty. Instead, he says, Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. He redirects their focus from temporary suffering to eternal hope. When I think about my friends around the world suffering for Christ and the stories of countless Christians who have given their lives in an effort to spread the gospel, my flesh can't help but wonder, how did they stay faithful? And it boils down to this. They trust the eternal promises of God, the promise of a heavenly reward. In our lives, every single one of us will face suffering of some sort. For some of us, it may be the physical suffering of the sickness or emotional suffering caused from the loss of a loved one or turmoil caused by family conflict or loneliness that sickens the soul or adversity in our workplace or struggle with an emotional distress. But all of us will suffer. How we handle that suffering is what matters most. 
It is no surprise that this theme of suffering and understanding how we as Christians handle suffering, it is a significant theme in the New Testament. It literally fills the pages. I'm going to highlight just a few New Testament passages on this theme. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that suffering helps us develop endurance, and endurance develops the strength of character, and strength of character strengthens our hope of salvation. To summarize, we grow when we suffer. I heard a story once of a man who toured a great vineyard, and he was amazed at these well-manicured vines. Some of the grapes were three or four times the size he had ever seen. And as they moved along examining the vineyard, they came to a very pathetic-looking area where the, the vines appeared to be dying. And he looked at the tour guide and said, Those vines are nearly dead. The grapes are barely as big as a pea. You should fire the person responsible for those vines. But the tour guide smiled and explained, These grapes are called stressed grapes. They take more care than all of the others. The vine is held right between life and death at all times. They are not given too much water, not too little. They're not given too much fertilizer, not too little. They're not pruned too much, and they're not pruned too little. For these vines must be held on the brink of life and death. Because when the grapevine thinks it is dying, it sends the most flavor, the most sweetness, the most life into these small grapes. And these grapes are valuable, and they make the most expensive of wines. They will return a profit that is 50, 100, even 200 times what the investment was. Now, sometimes pastors use creative liberties when coming up with stories for sermons. But this is not one of them. This is a true fact. You can research it. On, look it up. They, this is a, a tactic that, that vineyards use to create the most expensive wines. The best grapes are from the vines that struggle. But it's the vines that struggle the most that the vineyard keeper pays the most attention to. When we face moments of pain... It is easy to despair. It is easy to feel far from God. Yet it is in the moments that we suffer most that God promises to be closest to us. When we suffer, another scripture says that when we suffer, we are identifying with the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. And so he truly does empathize and understand what we're facing. Our, you know, whenever we face these difficulties, our faith will either increase or decrease. Suffering will either make us bitter or it will improve our strength of character. It will either make us a despair or it will give us a confident hope of salvation. If we choose to deal with suffering with faith and endurance and increased character and hope of salvation, Paul says we can rejoice. This doesn't make light of the difficulty. It doesn't answer the question, why is this happening? But it sees where God is at work within the pain. I have several moments from my childhood that that I remember very clearly. And one of my my childhood memories is really a surprising moment. I was around 13 years old or so, and, and my family had just gone through a season 
of really traumatic suffering. There were family members in the hospital and pain and, and just a lot of suffering. And it was a lot for a, a, a child to handle. Um, and I remember being sad and angry and uncertain. And we were, we were having a conversation. My mom was having a conversation with a friend who was a, a very devout Roman Catholic, one of the holiest people I truly have ever met in my life. And she was talking to my mother about suffering, and she said something absolutely stunning. She said, I wish that God trusted me as much as he trusts you with this. And as a 13-year-old child, my young ears interpreted this statement as, I wish I was in your shoes. And that was unimaginably offensive to me. I couldn't fathom it because she's almost saying, I'm jealous of where you are. But as I've gotten older and as I've suffered more, I've realized that there is truly a cap to the growth that we can, we can get to in a place of comfort. These seasons of despair can be powerful times of growth and of transformation In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, We are pressed on every side by trouble, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. When we suffer, we share in the sufferings of Christ. And that pain helps us be able to also experience the life of Jesus. Thankfully, we are not left alone in our sufferings. Christ is with us. And we also have the beauty of having a church family to surround us in times of difficulty. You know, we cannot do anything alone. But you can do just about anything if you have Christ and the church surrounding you. We as people are created for community. And our calling is to be more than handshakes and hugs on Sunday mornings. We are truly called to bear one another's burdens. We are called to go deep into each other's lives and to suffer with each other. And even if we have people who are willing to suffer with us for a while, what happens when we suffer for years? It is easy to grow weary when we see someone suffering for longer than we think we should. It is easy to eventually stop dealing, deeply engaging with them and to leave them to their fate. But despite this temptation, it is essential in the church that we learn to lean on one another, that we are there for one another. You know, people who fought in some of the great wars in human history, they look at their fellow soldiers as brothers. They... they come to this understanding that your, your foxhole buddy has your back. And they, it's because they've suffered together. And the stories that I've heard describe a real bond that develops whenever you are in a fight with someone else. As we go through life, we will face many battles and we cannot face them alone. We need people to come alongside us, people to jump in the foxhole with us, people that will have our backs. And whenever we feel like Satan is shooting his fiery arrows at us, we need someone that will help us stand strong. As, as I'm studying and reading about this, the, the scripture that comes to my mind is Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul describes the armor of God. He uses the Roman legionnaire's uniform to describe the spiritual armor that we need to face Satan and the battles of life. 
Each part of the Roman soldier's outfit was designed for offensive battle, to move forward and to face the challenge. But the Roman soldiers were only as strong as the entire company was. They worked together to face each challenge, and they became the fiercest fighting force in the world. As they prepared for battle, their shields, what they would do is they would actually link them together. They would take their shield, and, and my shield would link to the person beside and on down the line. And, and this, this, this wall of shields is what made their battle strategy so effective because rather than one person facing one person head on, strength to strength, one person would attack the strength of 20 or 30 or 50. If just one person decided to give up the battle, to drop his shield and to run away, it created a vulnerability that put the entire community at risk. So as you go into battle, don't do it alone. If you are equipped with the the armor of God, your shield of faith, whenever you go through a hard time, you are not facing that hard time alone, but you're called to link your shield with your neighbor's shield, and then that shield with someone else's shield, to where the whole body of Christ is standing together facing the battle. It's never you alone. So don't be the one that, that drops the shield of faith and runs away, creating a vulnerability for someone else. Stand strong. I've heard many people say, I'm a Christian, but I hate the church. I don't have to go to church to believe in Jesus. And this belief system is a great tactic of Satan to rob believers of the fullness of the Christian life. Sure, you can believe in Jesus and never go to church, but why would you want to? The church is the single greatest source of community and strength and support that exists in this world. Whenever you face the challenges... You were not designed to make it on your own. God created us and gives us the church to give power, to strengthen and uphold one another. We are called to love and support each other when the times get tough. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. And when you do this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Mm. There was a man named Horatio Spafford, who lived in the 1800s, who knew a great deal about life's unexpected suffering. He was a a successful attorney and a real estate investor who lost a great fortune in the Chicago fire of 1871. Around the same time, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. He thought that a vacation would do his family some good to get get their mind off of things. And so he decided that they would go on a trip to England. And he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him while he finished up some business dealings. However, while crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was involved in a terrible collision, and it sunk. More than 200 people died, including all four of his daughters. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. She arrived in England, and she sent a telegram to her husband that simply said, Saved alone. What shall I do? Horatio immediately set sail for England. And at one point in the voyage, the captain of the ship uh, stopped and said, Listen, this is the exact spot that the crash occurred. This is where your children died. 
Horatio sat down on the deck and he pulled out a journal. He thought about his daughters, but instead of despair, he was given a, a, a sense of peace. He began writing some words inspired by God. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. The hymn that he wrote on that deck in a moment of incomprehensible suffering has been a hymn of hope for Christians around the world that find themselves in a similar place. You know, some pastors out there will tell you, just trust in Jesus and everything in your life is going to go great. I'm not so foolish as to tell you that, my friends. In this life, there will be trouble. There will be suffering. But Jesus promises to be with you. He promises to give you the crown of life if you endure to the end. So how will you handle life's difficulties? Let us be the ones who will say, it is well with my soul. Thanks be to God. Amen.